So, we're in Galatians chapter 5. The section we're going to look at today is the first 15 verses. As David said last week, uh, he overlapped into verse 1 of uh, this in his talk last week. But of course, it's the division of the chapters, as we've already thought about it, as man-made. And sometimes we wonder and puzzle over the divisions of God's word that's been done by man, and we puzzle over it. Anyway, I think in looking at verse 1 together again, um, it does so clearly fit in with uh, chapter 4. But in this whole um, letter, you get a continuation of Paul repeating himself and going in a cycle almost, but emphasising the importance of what he is saying, because he says them more than once. He says it in different ways. I can always remember um, people that I've mentioned when they were speaking at conferences and, um, and they hadn't been given a subject, would fret a little bit if they were asked to be the third or the fourth speaker, because they would worry that the person before them had chosen the same subject. Maybe it's wrong, dare I say it, to fret. If the Lord wanted it said twice, then it's his prerogative. If he wanted it said in a different way by a different person to re-emphasize it, then what's wrong with that? Uh, We look to the Lord to guide and direct, and I'm sure in this case with Paul's letter that the fact that we are probably hearing the same thing time and time again Is that not the purposes of God? He has a reason for it. And it's to hammer it home. So let's just read it again uh, together. There obviously will be things that are repeated. Not just from what David said last week, but from others. uh, Going back even further in 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 the book of Galatians. So, reading from verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. 
Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I just want to again just uh, go back to Romans, uh, Romans 8. <clears throat> David referred to this last week again. So again, no apologies for repeating it because maybe some of you weren't here. Some of it needs re-emphasizing. Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son, in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who did not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And then on to chapter 13 in Romans, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in the rule in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does not harm, does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And then Matthew 22. Just reiterating again what the Lord said uh, that Paul was referring to. In verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. This is again going back to the, the whole thought of, remember that these false teachers had come in and they were teaching that justification by faith was not sufficient on its own. You needed the law as well. And Paul is time and time again hammering home, this is not true. This is not true. And he keeps coming back to it. And so he's saying that we are free from the law now. Um, it's the conclusion, if you like, of chapter 4, uh, 
We are free from the law. We are justified by faith. It's uh, the fact that the righteous requirement of the law was it's the moral attributes of the law were something that came after justification. When you go back to the whole picture of the shadow uh, that is seen in God's dealing with the people of Israel and bringing them out of Egypt, that it started with the call of God to Moses to go in and to preach that Satan in the form, in this case of Pharaoh, was to let his people go. And how did they go? Is that they saw the arm of the Lord, they saw the power of the Lord in his workings of the plagues, and it culminated in the Passover. It culminated in the obedience of the people of God and taking the lamb, the substitute lamb, and the blood being put on the doorposts and the lintels, them going into the house covered by the blood, eating the lamb and waiting. That was their salvation. That was their justification, the picture of justification. And of course their release going out in and through the waters of baptism was the separation, the evidence, the physical evidence of the separation from the world, separation from their slavery, separation from their bondage. They were a people who were free and they're taken out to the place, Mount Sinai, where God gives them the law, a moral law, a law that only the people who are already justified can be given. They're already accepting of the fact that they will obey God, they will serve God, the one true God, and that they, on the basis of their justification through the Paschal Lamb, that they would accept the, uh, the laws of God. Now these laws, of course, were unable to be kept. <coughs> In Jesus Christ, it says that all the law hangs because the law hangs on love. As we've just read in Matthew, that's what the Lord Jesus said, that all the law, there was uh, hundreds of different laws, but it all hang on this two, two particular commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And very close to that is to love your neighbor as yourself. That encompassed, encased the whole of the law. Everything else was not say it didn't matter, but it was all subject to that. That was what was important. And all of that was encased in the person of Christ. When Christ came, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law, which was a law of love. He was love. He was the representative first from God the representative of man and if we kept these two laws which is to keep them encased in the person of Christ which was a love he came in love he oozed love he was love he came to die and of course when you go on to read about the, the uh, love in, in John chapter 13 and John chapter 15. It, John chapter 15 verse 13 finishes that part with just saying, 
that um, if a man lays down his life for his friend, that's the picture of love. No greater love has any man than he lays down his life for his friend. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. So when we are looking at love, we are looking at Christ. And so when we think that the Lord said the whole of the, the law of Moses given by God to a people who were attempting there to uh, fulfill the desires of a separated people, brought out, uh, brought set free, then you have the picture today of us who, through the death of Christ, we are justified by believing, by faith in that. And whilst the laws of God in, given to Moses were moral laws, they were a hindrance because they could not be fulfilled by man because of his sinful nature. And therefore, along comes Christ. This is what Paul is teaching. And this is what he's asking us to home into, the beauty of Christ. Never lose that. And so when you get challenged, as, as these people were, uh, by people, uh, Judaism that was coming in to uh, Christianity, into the churches of God in Galatia, where false teaching was they were saying, Christ is not enough. Paul's angry and righteous anger is coming out. That's not true. Put, these, put that aside. Because what it starts by saying in verse 2 is that Paul is saying, mark my words. If you do, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And then in verse 3, again, I declare. It's strong language, but it's clear language. And it, it's something that was so relevant to the problems in the churches of God in Galatia that was being forced upon them by false teaching. And Paul was combating that. I was thinking when I was, when I was just meditating on all of this, of course, this might not be something that we are particularly um, being attacked by when it comes to the law of Moses today. But Satan is ever subtle uh, and he uses what is pertinent at the time. And the, at the time this was written, the, the Jews were obviously had steeped in the law, were very concerned and upset about losing that teaching, or for it seemed to be part or put aside in favour of grace. And they struggled with that. And so this is where Satan used that to get into the minds of the false teachers and say, look, Christ isn't enough. You need the law. What's that? Can we equate with that today? Of course, sin comes in all different shapes and sizes. And Satan attacks us today 
I also saying exactly the same thing. Christ is not enough. You know, you um, you need other things in your life. I always remember in my own experience um, falling foul of that. That when it came to what I saw as the demands of Christianity or the demands of somebody in God's house, it seemed too hard. It seemed too harsh and rebelled against it and thinking that, well, surely in order to get enjoyment, in order to live and to be happy in life, you don't just need Christ with what I was thinking. You want some of the world as well, don't you? Can you be happy without the things of the world? Can you be happy to put your things away, these things away, and focus on love? And focus on loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbour as yourself. Is that enough? That took me years to learn that. <laughs> That's a tremendous challenge. Because I was saying as a teenager, no, that's not enough. That's boring, or whatever. I can't, you can't give your life, you can't all, and I would look on it as going to meetings and doing, reading my Bible and praying, and you can't live your life doing that all the time. Surely there's other things. And of course, what I think is being taught here about the law is the same thing I think we should be teaching one another. Is it is enough. Christ is enough. Because he is love. And if we live our lives in loving God and loving one another, then that fills everything. And therefore, it's not a case that you'd stop everything else you're doing. It means that when you're involved with your family, when you're involved with your work, when you're involved in just playing with your family and, and enjoying uh, the things around you, that Christ is the centre of it all. And that he, by loving God, him, and by loving one another, and in wanting to show Christ-like attitudes in one another, we are exuding Christ. So therefore, we are aware of our salvation. We are aware of what we've been saved from. And we are looking forward to what the hope that is been within us. That to look forward to eternity with Christ Jesus. That when we're working, when we're playing, and when we're together, Christ is central. And he's in central in everything. Sometimes I found that very hard to, and still find it hard, um, to keep working at that. It's almost as if we decompartmentalize our Christianity, our service for God, our life for Christ. And so when we go to college or go to work, that's nothing to do with our Christianity. That's 
something I've got to do because I've got to be educated or I've got to make money. I've got to live in this world that God has put me into. Not true. He's part of that. And we should be looking to him to guide us in every aspect of it, to lead us, and so that that enjoyment and that service is Christ-centred. And in Christ-centred, it's based on the law of Moses, which is love. Because Christ came to fulfil the law, and he fulfilled it in love as the man who died for his friends, us. When he goes on to talk about, goes back to circumcision again, the talk is clear that circumcision was given and was to be accomplished when a child was only eight days old. So the child had no choice in the matter. It was a commitment by uh, the Jews who were committing that child um, to uh, serving the Lord but it was under their guidance and their direction. And that, was a, that commitment, of course, was given to a separated people, the Jews, uh, in order to, uh, that they might be seen at that early age committed to the law. But what Paul's going on to say is that circumcision, whether you're circumcised now in the day of grace or uncircumcised, is of no account. But what does matter is your heart, is the circumcision of your heart. Is your heart circumcised? And that's the question that we're bringing out here. It's not no longer of the flesh. It's no longer physical. It's spiritual. The Holy Spirit is within you now. And the Holy Spirit works within you. And therefore there's a necessity for us to circumcise our hearts, to get rid of the flesh. And that is a clear indication about ridding ourselves of the things of this world, the things that uh, cause us to be contaminated. You know what they are in your life, and they're different in my life to yours. The things that attract us, the things that detract us from the things of God, the things that take up our time, our idol worshipping, which we all have, and we have to get rid of the things of the flesh. And so whilst the physical thing was put aside of, as of no consequence, the spiritual thing is still there, and that is something that we have to physically do, <laughs> physically do or mentally do in our minds. Uh, to rid. It's almost like a physical thing that you're having to sit down and decide, how do I do this in a spiritual sense? How do I cleanse my heart? Even although we are somebody, who, people who are saved by grace, we have the, the promise of eternal salvation. We, we are in hope. That hope is something which is what we live for. That is something which is that we're not saved by hope, but we are saved in hope. And uh, 
It's of the state of hope. I think as John Miller, I read in his notes, he talked about it as the state of hope. Is that because the Lord Jesus Christ has died for us, we are in Christ. We are heirs of the promise of God. Therefore, it's as if it's already happened. And that's being in the state of hope. Is that we know it's going to happen, although we are still waiting for it. The Lord is going to come and we will be transformed and we will be one with him. It's, already, it's as if it's already happened. We are in Christ now. We are looking for the, our bodies, our sinful bodies, to be transformed. Either in death, the dead in Christ will rise first and a new body will be formed. Or we who are still on the earth are raised up and be transformed in, into the likeness of Christ and we will be forever with him. That hope, it's not the hope of, we often use the word in English, a, a hope that something will happen, <laughs> uh, but maybe it won't. <laughs> this is the hope, the assurance that we get in Christ Jesus. So, the danger, uh, it says in verse 3, I think, uh, <coughs> that if you accept circumcision, you are effectively aligning yourself to the old law, and you have to take it all on board, and uh, all the difficulties that there are there. If you're trying to be justified by law, you have alienated yourself from Christ. Now, I think it's obviously clear here that we're not talking about losing your salvation. We are talking about people who are saved by grace, but are being hindered by taking on other things in their lives that are not of Christ, are nothing to do with Christ, and things that are... Uh, putting them in a position where they do not see the fullness of Christ. And so therefore, they are alienating themselves. Not, I think there's some version you've been cut off. What, what it means, and it's not losing your salvation, but losing the ability or the opportunity to serve Christ in the way that he'd want us to do it. And so he can't use us if we are not teaching salvation by faith or justification by faith and that we are bringing in other things, then that's nothing to do with Christ. That's not the gospel. And that's the important, is we rid ourselves, circumcise ourselves in our heart of the things of this, the flesh and focus on some, serving God and we can only serve God and follow the Lord Jesus Christ if we do that. It's quite important, <laughs> quite important. It's something that Paul keeps coming back to and therefore led by the Spirit in writing this and in combating Satan and the false teachers, he's hammering these things home. All you need is Christ and the importance 
of giving yourself totally to him. I think this again, maybe just finishing this section on it, is about when we talk about that, it's not something, it's just words. It's an action that is required by us in our lives. We can see it in each other that when we are saying that the law is encompassed in love, the law is encompassed by Christ who fulfilled the law, then the law has an importance and it's a moral thing that's given by God, but can, we can only um, execute uh, in Christ Jesus under the umbrella of love. And the, what is coming across here time and time again is that because of the love of Christ, we are a redeemed people. But we have to show that in the way we live. And the way we live is we should be loving one another. So therefore, if we don't show that love, if we are not showing love for one another, if we are not exercising that in the regular gatherings together of us wanting to be together, of wanting to be praying for one another, are interested in one another and prepared to um, uh, encourage and support one another, the big question mark comes, are you circumcised in the heart? The big question is that, you know, is there evidence of that love in our lives? Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 28, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This is using the term Jew, of course, as being the separated people unto God. That um, the value of circumcision is in the heart. The verse 7 talks about when Paul goes on to talk about the, the race. Uh, as it being run, you are running a good race. I think, you know, he's talking again about uh, a level of knowledge about the people he's writing to, of course. They were running a good race. So as they had received the word, the gospel, they'd received it from Paul. Paul had convinced them at the time that his gospel was God's gospel. It was given from God and that he was the instrument that was being used to preach the full gospel. Of course, they didn't have the New Testament scriptures then. They only had the Old Testament, and they were able to, he was able to use that. And of course, the Lord Jesus used that in the, the two on the way to Emmaus when he, he spoke about the, uh, himself uh, as he taught them things concerning himself in the Old Testament. And of course, what 
Paul as an apostle born out of due season because of his uh, remarkable conversion on the road to Damascus. He was a chosen man who had been given through the power of the Holy Spirit insights and understanding from God so that he was passing it on as from God. It was not just his own thoughts. These were the things that were given to him by God. And so when he was saying that to, to them, that this, you're running a good race because you're following the teaching that I gave you. You're following the teaching which is of God. But, and this was where he came, and who cut in on you? I think again what Paul was teaching here is that we have to be aware of being cut in on. And he's using the, this picture, of course, of a, a, a race. That you're running well, you're at the front, uh, you're in front of everybody and you're <laughs> uh, running well and you're within um, the means of completing the race or winning the race. But as we've seen in uh, races on television, etc., or maybe we've actually been to one, where somebody cuts in on you and it causes you to stumble or to hold back. Who, Paul's saying, who did that? Why is that important? Well, I, I think it's important here because Paul's looking to say, identify these people, identify satanic work amongst you. And this is, again, the teaching that we have that we need to take on board, is that we need to identify that. There are things going on in our lives, and I'm including myself in all of that hinder us. And somebody's cut in on us, and we stumble. And I don't believe there's anybody here that hasn't stumbled. I certainly have, but we need to identify it. You don't accept it as something that just happens. There are many people, and certainly in my experience, of people I've grown up with and people I've known who have fallen away. And I think in some cases anyway, it's because they never identified who did it. Because if you identify who did it, you'll recognise, as Paul is saying here, it wasn't the person who called you who caused you to stumble. So the people that leave fellowship, the people that leave uh, the race, the people who fall out, for, if they are using the reasons, well, it's God's fault, or it's the teaching, or it's too, it's too severe, or I don't understand it, or I'm not prepared to accept it, then identify, is that the one who called you? is now causing you to stumble? The answer is obvious, but it's not so obvious sometimes when you're in it and you start to believe that actually the teaching that we've had is suspect. The teaching that we are receiving is not something I'm prepared to accept. So what do you do about it then? Well, you need to identify what's, who's cutting on you. And you need to identify who called you. How do you do that? You need to be somebody who is in the Word of God. You need to identify the man of love. You need to identify 
whether you actually love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And what state are you and I in that we are able to stand and say, well, the teaching I have got, I'm not prepared to accept because of X, Y, Z reasons. Is that because we're not in the Word? Is that because we are not asking God for help? We are not circumcised in the heart and we are not identifying who's cut in on us. And in fact, it's Satan. So I think that hindering and identifying and correcting leads us to the point that we need to obey the truth. And that's what Paul is getting to. Obey the truth. What is the truth? Well, Pilate didn't know. But the truth is in the scriptures. And if we are in the same position as Pilate, where we're saying, well, what is truth? I don't know what truth is. Then find out. Truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We often sing that, don't we, as kids. That's what Jesus said. I am the truth. So therefore, if you want to know what is, to obey the truth is to obey Christ and to obey his teaching and to go follow him. Right, just in closing. Um, verse 10. <coughs> I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Again, there's just, I think, teaching for, for all of us who teach in whatever sphere, whether it's to the children at Sunday school or whether it be in big conferences, however, we are in discussions with one another, we have a tremendous responsibility of going before God first that we don't just talk about what I think, that it's not David King's view that you're hearing, that it is something that is taught as from God. And so each one of us who is in that position needs to be before God, needs to be in the word, and needs to be confident that we stand up with the help of the Lord, guiding us and directing us in what we say. Because if we get it wrong, it's a tremendous responsibility on us because we are going to be standing before the Lord one day at the judgment of God, the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give an account. And if we've been false teachers, we're in trouble. So I think it's incumbent on us as teachers to make sure. But the people who are doing that, Paul was saying to them, it's better if they were cut off it's better if they were not with us. And it's better that we identify them, we identify them, we challenge them. And if they're not prepared to submit, then they should be cut off, put away from amongst us. We don't want to be cut in. We don't want to have false teachers amongst us. So identify it. It's got to be from Christ. So and in conclusion, um, Paul is again just coming back to the, the thing that the most important thing is it's through love 
that we serve one another. So we have to love one another. Again, I think I've repeated this a few times, but I remember talking to Willie Stewart, the great evangelist, who had the tremendous knack of just talking to anybody and within seconds be talking about the Lord. He was a tremendous example to a lot of us who knew him and listened to his teaching. Um, and when asked one day, you know, what is it that he had? What is it about him that made him, gave him that ability? And he said, I have love. I love the lost. And that is tremendous thing. It's one thing, you know, to love one another. Maybe that, that's easier. He loved the lost because he wanted them to be numbered amongst us. And he just oozed love. He had a smile for everybody. I wonder whether, you know, we should learn from him in the way that we conduct ourselves and we show love towards one another. That's just one man in his short life of service. But of course, the most important thing is that we look to Christ as the one who fulfilled the law and who showed his love. First, he washed his disciples' feet. <laughs> that was the expression of love physical. But more than that, after that, he went to the cross to die for us. And that is the ultimate in love. And he's the man we should follow. Shall we pray?